Well, hey, good evening. I want to welcome you to Meadowland Church. It's great to be with you. My name is uh, Adam. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And really just so thankful uh, to, to be with you this evening. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've uh, been talking about this idea of getting past our past. One, one of the things each of us probably do on one level or another as we enter into the new year, um, we begin to kind of ask ourselves these questions like, how will my life be different this year? What, what kind of things will I accomplish? Um, what are things that I've been maybe unsatisfied with last year that I want to resolve or, or make better this year? And maybe, maybe you're a New Year's resolution type person, or maybe you just set some goals, or maybe you just have some dreams and say, listen, these are, these are things that I want to see come about in my life. But the reality is, for every single one of us, is that if we don't allow our past to die, then our past won't allow us to live. And the reason that that, that video, maybe, maybe for you like me, is so difficult to watch is because the reality is every single one of us is carrying around some sort of baggage. And what I, I want to say is that if you're here and you go, man, I got some baggage, you're among friends. Because at Meadowland Church, we're a church full of hurting, broken people, people who have baggage. We're all just desperately trying to pursue Jesus and figure out who he is and what that means to our life. And one of the things that I think for you and for me as we enter this new year is we talk about what will happen to us and what will our lives look like is I think I as a pastor and we as a church really desire for every single one of us to experience what Jesus said in John 10.10 when he said that he came to give life and life to the full. Or maybe the, depending on the translation he uses, he says, I came to give life and life abundantly. And the reality is, is one of the things that we need to have happen in our lives for us to experience that kind of life is we need to let go of some baggage. We need to get rid of some of the stuff that we've been carrying along for far too long. And what that really means is that you and I have people in our lives that we need to forgive. And maybe there's some of you here this evening that you have just huge things in your life that people have hurt you. Maybe, maybe there's things like people, someone gossiped about you. You shared something that was so close to your heart. So listen, hopefully just keep this between us. And that got out and it got around. Maybe you were lied to. Maybe somebody betrayed your trust. Maybe you were in a relationship with somebody and they betrayed you. Maybe you even had a spouse who's cheated on you. Maybe you've been taken advantage of by someone. Maybe someone took your innocence and prayed on it. Maybe you had a parent that abandoned you. Maybe you've had someone hurt, someone that you really love and you really care about, and you've been carrying that around for a really long time. But the reality is, is every single one of us has somebody we need to forgive. And every single one of us has some baggage that we need to be able to let go of if we're really going to experience life and life to the full. I know watching that video for me personally causes me to feel emotions that I don't really want to feel. And maybe you're like me as you, as you watch that video as we begin to talk about this stuff. There's these emotions that, that begin to kind of invoke inside of you, emotions that you thought maybe you had, had kind of bottled up or hidden away in the deepest recesses of your heart. And you thought, hey, I'm not going to let those affect me. I'm not going to let those out. And yet they come about. Or maybe even as you watched that video and you saw uh, those guys in those different scenarios, maybe you had a name come to mind. Maybe you saw a face. Maybe you instantly thought of a person or a situation or a conversation or something that happened to you. And here's what I want to invite you to do this evening. Instead of shoving that back down, I want to invite you to actually just let that kind of rise to the surface. 
And the reason I want you to kind of let that rise to the service this evening is because my hope is that we could biblically deal with that baggage, that we could biblically deal with that hurt, that we could biblically maybe let go of some of the things that we've been hanging on to. In fact, uh, I've been praying for every single person who would hear this message this week, whether no matter what service you went to or no matter how you heard the message, whether you heard it live or if you're listening online or or whether somebody gave you a a CD or or emailed it to you or or whatever. But my prayer has been this, is that God would give you the power through the Holy Spirit to forgive the people who have hurt you so that you could let go of the offense or so you could let go of the baggage. Because one of the things that's true is we begin to open up our Bibles as we begin to discover God's word. As I think scripture makes it very clear that biblically, forgiveness is supposed to be a priority in your life and my life. That our ability to forgive other people for the hurt or for the offense or, or for the things they've done to us is actually something that, that's supposed to be really, really important to us. Something that's really supposed to be at the forefront of our lives. Something that we put time and energy and an emotion to that forgiveness is really a priority in your life, in my life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 23, Jesus begins to speak about this. And really what he's talking about is anger and hurt and offense and being in those kind of relationships where you experience those things. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. One of the things that's interesting to me about this verse is this is what Jesus is really saying. He says there's something that actually takes higher priority than, than worship. And now, we don't go to temple anymore, and you don't usually bring a, like a goat or a ram or something. If you did, keep it in the parking lot, please. But um, like, because Jesus is the, our ultimate sacrifice, we don't bring sacrifices. And so really the modern-day equivalent of what Jesus is talking about here in temple is really the church. And, and he's saying, listen, when you come together to worship, when you come together to uh, pursue God, when you want to come and worship and learn and, and come together with other believers and people, he's saying there's something that takes precedent over that, and it's forgiving people who, who've hurt you or forgiving people who've offended you. In fact, this is what he says. He goes, listen, if you've come, if you've come to worship, if you've come to make that, that giving of that sacrifice, he goes, listen, just leave it there. Like, it's so important that you, you should leave and go and, and make peace and reconcile and forgive the person that has hurt you. I think of it this way. I have, I have two boys. I have a four-year-old who's almost five and a two-year-old boy, and, and we love them and their gifts from God to us. I really believe that. And one of the things that, that happens in our life is my kids are kind of like my alarm clocks. Like, if, if I don't need to be up before 6.30, I can just rely on them. Like, almost every day, they're up by 6 to 6.15. I mean, like clockwork. And it doesn't matter, like, how late they stay up. Like, even if they stay up late, it's 6 or 6.15. And, and so they get up all the time. And one of the things that kind of usually happens in our home is our boys will wake up, and they make their, their way from their room into our room. And so they'll come in with... My wife, Audrey, and I, and we kind of have time in the morning. We'll just talk about the day and what's going to happen, and we kind of snuggle and hang out. And it's something that we really enjoy in our family. But one of the things that will happen is, is whoever gets chosen first for kind of like snuggle time kind of becomes the hot commodity. And so whatever, whatever son makes it into the room first, and whether it's, let's say he wants to snuggle me because I'm telling the story, and he says, I'm going to snuggle dad, then usually what happens is the next one that comes in goes, well, I want to snuggle. I, I want to snuggle dad. And, and all of a sudden, like, 
this happens quite a bit is all of a sudden between Audrey and I are our two boys and they're wrestling with one another. And, and like there's elbows being thrown and feet being thrown. And I mean, you know, it's kind of like WWF in the middle of, of us in our bed. And, and one of the things that will happen is it's like, you know, I'm taking elbows to, to the liver and Audrey's getting kicked. And, and one of the things is, is I, I'm just every time this happens, I'm like, listen, you guys got to get out of our bed and work this thing out. Like, I don't want you bringing this drama here. Like, I don't want to be beat up, and I don't want to get hit. Is you're slugging it out. Like, as you guys slug this thing out, like, I, I don't, it's not welcome here. It's not something that I want all over as you're trying to get close to me. And I think that's kind of what Scripture is saying here is that God's perspective is, listen, if you're slugging it out with somebody, maybe just emotionally there's, there's some stuff going on, maybe physically there's some, some stuff going on. I mean, maybe there's just some brokenness and some hurt and some unforgiveness, and this is what Jesus says. He goes, listen, the priority is to get that taken care of. The priority is to, to bring that situation, to bring that relationship, to bring that circumstance into restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. That really in your life and my life, forgiveness is a priority, but let's just be completely honest. Every single one of us struggles with this on one level or another. That we still have people we need to forgive. There's still baggage we're holding on to. This forgiveness isn't something that's intuitive or always comes naturally to us. It's actually something that we have to work on. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that happens when we talk about things like forgiveness is usually people will ask the question, well, what does it mean to really forgive somebody? Like, if you want to talk about forgiveness, what does it mean to truly forgive somebody? And I think for us to truly understand forgiveness, we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because in the book of Genesis... It gives us the, the account of creation, that God creates the world and everything and everyone in it. And what Genesis says is that when God creates us, when he creates the human race, when he creates Adam and Eve, that he creates us in such a way that we're created in his image, that we have things about us that actually represent who God is and what he's like. And one of those things is that when we're created that way, that you and I were created for relationship. That you and I were actually created to have a relationship with God. That, that Adam and Eve had such a, a clear, such an intimate relationship with God. There was no brokenness. There was no separation. That there was no doubt of who he is. That, that there was full communion, full fellowship, full relationship with God. But we were also created not just for relationship with God, but we were created for relationship with one another. That even in the creation account, it said that God created Adam and he saw that Adam was alone and, and that wasn't good. That, that you and I were created to be in relationship. And even in the garden when we see Adam and Eve, that they were fully together, full communion, full unity. There was a oneness about them to the point that there was no guilt. Uh, there was no shame. There was nothing for them to hide from one another. And yet scripture says in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve rebel against God and that you and I rebel against God as well. And that when sin enters the world, it changes everything. In fact, D.A. Carson, who's a theologian and a teacher, he, he says this, and I, I just love this quote from him. He says, The Bible insists that the heart, of all, at the heart of all human problems is rebellion against God, who is our maker, whose image we bear, and whose rule we seek to overthrow. All of our problems, without ex exception, can be traced to this fundamental source, our rebellion and the just curse of God that we attracted by our rebellion. You see, one of the reasons we experience hurt, one of the reasons we experience pain, one of the reasons we experience 
broken relationships is because of sin. In fact, D.A. Carson goes on to say this. He says, our plight is tied to sin, ours and that of others. Further, whether our misery is the result of explicit human malice or the fruit of natural disaster, Genesis chapter 3 insists that this is, this is a disordered world, a broken world, and that this state of affairs has come about because of human rebellion. That one of the reasons that you and I experience the misery of life, one of the reasons we experience the hurt and the brokenness is because at the core of who we are, we need to be forgiven. At the core of our lives is, is this rebellion and this sin that has taken place and continues to take place. And the reason we don't experience that fullness of relationship with God and the reason we don't experience that fullness of relationship with one another is because sin has actually broken our world. And that sin has actually broken our relationships and it's hurt us and it's hindered us and actually we live under a curse. And one of the things that I actually treasure and love about Genesis chapter 3 is within Genesis chapter 3 we see God really in his fullness. That in one sense we, we see him as a just God but we also see him as a graceful God. That because God is so holy, because he's holy, 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 because he's righteous, because he's just, because God gets angry, that when Adam and Eve rebel against him, God says, listen, there's consequences for that. That whenever we sin and whenever we rebel, there's always consequence. And God says, listen, because you've done this one thing that I told you not to do, because I told you that you couldn't eat of this tree, that you couldn't have that fruit, but because you rebelled against me, because you determined that your will was greater than my will. Because you decided that your desires are greater than my commands. There's a consequence for your rebellion. There's a consequence for your sin. And God actually begins to explain to Adam and Eve that because of what they've done, that, that we would now live in a broken world. That we would experience broken relationships. That childbearing would be painful. That marriages would be disordered. That uh, there would be work and it would be painful Toil, that there would actually be things now like physical death and spiritual death. And at the same time that God gives out the consequences for the sin, not only do we see his justice, but we see his grace. Because God turns from handing out the consequences and says, Listen, I'm going to make clothes for you. Like, I haven't abandoned you, I haven't given up on you, I'm not running away from you, but your decisions have consequences and God begins to also nurture them and say listen here's clothes for you to wear and in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 God for the first time gives us a glimpse of the gospel that there would be one who would come who would save us from our sin and redeem us and save the world in fact he, he's speaking to the devil at this point in Genesis three fifteen during the curse and he says listen I'm going to do some stuff to undo what you've done here. And he says, there is one who is coming. And we know him as Jesus. And he says, listen, you will bruise his heel. Making reference to the fact that Jesus would suffer, that Jesus would die on a cross. But the reason it's only referred to as bruising his heel is because he rose from the grave. That it didn't kill him. It only momentarily disabled him until he came back in full power and full glory. But, but God goes, listen. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. He will defeat you. He will crush you. There is one who is coming who will undo what you've done through this sin. There is one who is coming who will redeem and make new. There is one who is coming who will repair 
the consequence of sin. In fact, I love the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says that it's in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That it's because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of his life, and because of his death, and because of his resurrection, that we can experience forgiveness. That God would actually take away our sin, that he would forgive us from our sin, that he would actually cancel our debt and say, even though you are a sinner, you now have the opportunity to have life and life to the full, a relationship with God, the promise of eternal life, even though we do not deserve it. And even though it's something that we could never accomplish on our own. And see, the reason it's so important for us to start here when we talk about forgiveness is we have to understand that forgiveness is a God thing. That forgiveness is God's idea. That God is a God of redemption. That God is a God of forgiveness. That God is the one who said, hey, even though you've made this decision and there's consequences for it, I want to forgive you because I desire a relationship with you. I want to bring about a way for you to be forgiven. I want to bring about a way for this debt to be canceled. And even in Genesis chapter 3, he says, there is one who is coming. I will send my son who will redeem you, and he will undo this thing because he alone can. And see, then when we talk about what does it mean for us to forgive others, I think the first thing we have to understand is we need forgiveness ourselves. That because of our sin and because of our rebellion, that you and I are people who need to be forgiven by Jesus. And one of my hopes this evening is if, if maybe you're here and you're just investigating, or, or maybe you're here and you've got questions, or maybe you came kicking and screaming, listen, I'm so glad you're here this evening because this is what I believe about you is that I believe Jesus desires to save you from your sin and have a relationship with you. I believe that he died for you and he rose again for you so that you could have everlasting life. And not just everlasting life in the sense of eternity, but you can even have life now and life to the full that is only possible through him. And see, then when we begin to talk about what does it mean for me to forgive other people, I think we define it as something like this. I think we define forgiveness as, because Christ has loved me and forgiven me, I will no longer hold you to your sin and condemn you for it. I let your sin go because Christ has let my sin go. See, I think forgiveness is really motivated by the one who gives us forgiveness. I think forgiveness, uh, forgiving other people is actually a response to the one who's forgiven us. And so when you say, hey, what does it mean for me to forgive someone? I think forgiving people who have hurt us, forgiving people who have offended us, forgiving people who have done horrible things to us is actually a response saying, I understand what it means for me to be forgiven by Jesus. And because he's forgiven me and because he no longer condemns me and because he let my sin go, because of that, I'm willing to let your sin go. I'm willing to let the baggage go that you have caused. And in fact, as, as we talk about this, one of the things that happens is people would ask the question, well, how do I know if I've forgiven someone? Like, how do I know if I, I've really forgiven someone? Or when does forgiveness really take place? And about 300 years ago, a theologian named Thomas Watson wrote a book called The Body of Divinity. And at one point, he, he talks about or responds to the prayer that Jesus prays when the disciples say, Jesus teaches us how to pray. We know it is the Lord's Prayer. And he's speaking specifically to the point where Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts or we forgive our debtors. Now, depending on if you've been around church or what kind of church you grew up in or the way your parents taught it to you is you either know it, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And he's responding to that and he asked the question, when do we forgive others? And I love his answer to the question because this is what he says. 
He says, we begin to forgive others when we strive against all thoughts of revenge. When we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well. Grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. And I just kind of want to unpack this for, for just a couple minutes because I think one of the things we have to know is what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Like, Thomas Watson doesn't say forgiveness is instant trust. He doesn't say forgiveness is, is just instant relationship the way it was. But he says there's some indications of forgiveness taking place in our hearts. So there's actually maybe some things that flow out of our lives when true forgiveness takes place. He says this. He says, one of the indicators would be that we would resist thoughts of revenge. Now, now here's, here's the thing. We live in a culture that loves the idea of revenge. Loves the idea of revenge. Like, this is why they still make diehard movies. Because we love the idea that if somebody does something wrong to us, in the end, we win. Like, in the end, we get them back. Like, this is, this is why angry birds is such a phenomenon. Like, there's birds, and they're mad at the pigs. And we're not exactly sure why the birds are mad at the pigs. We just know that they're angry. And, and we can download the app that we can fling different angry birds at the pigs, knock down their structures, and demolish them. And at the end, we, along with the angry birds, win. Okay? We love the idea of revenge. We love the idea that if you hurt me, I'm going to get you back. That I'll take a pound of flesh for a pound of flesh. But this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 19. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That one of the indicators that we've forgiven someone is we've said, you know what, I'm not going to try to get you back for that thing. Like, I'm not coming after you. I'm not coming at you. Like, I'm going to let the Lord deal with that when I no longer want to try to avenge or revenge the thing that you've done for me. Number two, he says, don't seek to do them mischief. First Thessalonians 5.15 says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. Like, this means if you hurt me, I'm probably not going to TP your house if I've forgiven you. I'm not going to try to do things to you that would be mischief to you and cause you harm. In fact, he says, number three, wish well to them. That when forgiveness really takes place, even though people have really hurt us, we can begin to say, you know what? I, I want things to go well for you. I want good things for your life. Luke chapter 6, verse 28 says, bless those who curse you. In fact, maybe the way Thomas Watson pairs that is he says, we should wish well to them, but also that we would gr- grieve at their calamities. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And I, I think that's an indicator that, hey, forgiveness is taking place. We no longer really want something bad to happen to the people who have harmed us. You know, like, I, I don't know about you per se, but, like, I know for me, I, I just don't like bad drivers. And so if you, like, are speed by me, cut me off, or if you wait till the very last second to get on the on-ramp that started a thousand, you know, yards ago and and you, you cut me off, like, I don't necessarily grieve for you when the police officer pulls you over. In fact, I'm the guy that honks and waves, like, yeah, yeah. Not an indicator, an indicator that I have not forgiven that person, right? Like, when the guy in the office or the gal that you know, and you see him on the side of the road, and the police officer pulled them over, they have a flat tire, and you go, hee, 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 hee. means there's some, still some stuff in the heart that we haven't let go of. Number five, that we should pray for them. 
Matthew chapter 5, 44, Jesus says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like if we're able to pray for the people who have harmed us, if we're able to pray for the people who have offended us, odds are forgiveness is taking place. Number six, that we would seek reconciliation with them. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And that really what he's saying is that we do what we can do. That we play our part and we take our responsibility. That one's going to become really important next week because this week we're talking about how do we forgive people who've hurt us. Next week we're going to talk about how do we say I'm sorry or seek forgiveness when we're the ones that did the wrong. When we're the ones that actually need to seek forgiveness. And so I would invite you back for that next week. We're going to discover how to biblically say I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. The last one he says is this, number seven, be always willing to, be, to come to their relief. But what he means by that is be willing to help people even though they've hurt you, that, that you would maybe come to their aid or that you would help them. In fact, Exodus chapter 23 verse 4 says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Now I have to exercise a little bit of self-control here, but I think this is what is going down in Exodus chapter 23 verse 4. I think scripture is saying is even though the person who offended you might be a donkey, okay, don't take it out on his donkey, okay? So like, listen, even though that guy might be a donkey, or that gal might be a donkey, if his donkey's walking away, grab the donkey and take it back to him. Now, odds are the people that you maybe know or hurt you probably don't have ox, ox and donkeys, okay? But what it means is that if there's a way we can help them, or if there's a way we can serve them, or if they're in a time of need to go, listen... I will not withhold my helpfulness just because of what you've done for me. I would be willing to help you because I have forgiven you. Now, now here's, here's the thing. That's all, all really informative stuff. What is forgiveness? Letting go, letting go, canceling the debt, saying I don't hold you to your sin anymore. When does it take place? Usually when we begin to process through some stuff, when we begin to have maybe good feelings or neutral feelings, towards that person. But what I really want to do is be helpful this evening and really begin to answer the question, how do I forgive people? Like if I really have people who have hurt me or grieved me or done things to me, how do I actually begin to let go of those things? How do I begin to let God work in my life in that area to bring about forgiveness that's only possible through Christ? And here's, here's what I want you to hear is one of the reasons that you and I should forgive people who have hurt us is actually because unforgiveness hurts you and it hurts me. See, the choice to not forgive somebody hurts me more than it hurts that person. And when you choose not to forgive somebody, it hurts you more than it hurts that person. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 15. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. Now this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the grace of God, we should obtain it so we can experience it and offer it to others. And he says, if we don't experience that, we'll actually begin to experience a root of bitterness. That we'll become bitter people. And what happens when we become bitter is bitterness actually defiles us. Uh, bitterness actually affects us. Bitterness actually hurts us. It does not hurt the other people. And if you've ever been around somebody that's 
a bitter person, you always know that they're bitter. Because love doesn't keep a record of wrong. It's, love's not an account holder. But bitterness is a great accountant. Bitterness keeps track of everything. What you did do, what you should have done, what you could have done, when you weren't there, when you were there, when you said the wrong thing. And, and this is what happens is we become accountants and we begin to hold a ledger for all the relationships and for all the people that have done wrong to us or the people that we think have hurt us. And what happens is, is we're the only people that hold those accounts. That we're the only people that actually care about that information and we're the ones that carry the burden and we're the ones that carry the bitterness for that. The author of Hebrews says, listen, don't become bitter because if you become bitter, it defiles you. In fact, I love what Anne Lamont says when she talks about unforgiveness. She says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and hoping it kills the other person. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and hoping it kills the other person. Unforgiveness really hurts you, and it really hurts me. In fact, not only should we forgive because unforgiveness hurts us, but number two, the reality is you and I need forgiveness. And because we need forgiveness, we should be willing to forgive other people. Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, to me is one of the scariest things that Jesus says. If I was going to preach a sermon series called The Top Ten Things That Jesus Says That Terrify Me or The Top Ten Things That Jesus Say That Scare Me to Death, this would make the list. Because if we just assume some things for a couple minutes, like if we just assume that Jesus is who he says he is, which I believe. Like I believe when, when Scripture says he is the Son of God, that he is our Savior, that he is the Messiah, I believe that about Jesus. When Jesus says things like, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, I believe that. When the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is both the author and the perfecter of our faith, I believe that. When Scripture says it's through Christ and Christ alone that we can experience forgiveness, relationship with God, and eternal life, I believe that. Which also means when Jesus begins to directly talk about things like forgiveness and forgiving others, I take him at his word. Because I believe that there's no one that knows better than he does. I believe that he is the author of our faith, that he is the one who both secured our forgiveness and offers our forgiveness. So if there's anybody who's an expert on forgiveness and how God feels about the way we forgive other people, it's Jesus. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, that one scares me. Because Jesus says there's this supernatural, mysterious relationship that if I've experienced the forgiveness from God in my life, that there's a relationship between the forgiveness that I receive and the forgiveness I offer to other people. And if I'm a person that says, God, I want you to forgive me, I want you to forgive me, I want you to forgive me, but I'm unwilling to forgive other people, Jesus says, like, the whole thing begins to go really, really haywire and really, really wrong. And that God, who is a holy, holy, holy God, a just God, but also God of grace and love and mercy, looks at us and says, listen, if you accept the forgiveness I've given you but do not offer it to other people, you've missed the whole point. And there would actually be consequences for that. In fact, Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18 
And he's beginning to, he's trying to answer the question, how many times should we forgive somebody? Jesus is speaking on forgiveness, and one of the questions he gets is like, okay, well, I'm willing to forgive, but how many times? And he begins to say things like, you know, you should forgive 70 times, should we forgive 77 times? And Jesus goes, well, how about 7 times 77 times? Like, why don't we just multiply your two questions together and just do that, and if once you get there, just do it over again. And people still aren't really getting it. And so Jesus tells a story. And within the story, there's different people who represent different characters. And so he begins to tell a story. And he says, listen, there's a king, and he's a good king. He, he's a, a loving king, a benevolent king. He's also a very rich king who rules over a really great kingdom. And I think in the story, the king represents our heavenly father. And what happens is, is there's a day where this king decides that he's going to settle all the accounts people have with him. And that the people who have a good standing account with him will be rewarded. But the people who have debt, he's going to call out that debt. I think biblically that day would be judgment day. The day that you and I would stand face to face before God and give an account for our lives. And what happens is, is there's a man who actually owes quite a bit of debt to the king. In fact, what scripture says in Matthew 18 is he owes 10,000 talents. Now you probably haven't used a talent recently. And so I just want to give you some perspective on 10,000 talents 10,000 talents to the people that Jesus was speaking to would equal about 150 years of labor, okay? So this is not a small debt, 150 years. Like, if they were selling the car and said, listen, it's a 150-year payment program, like, not a good one, okay? Like, by the time you figure the interest, it's only going to take 150 years. You're like, hey, kids, you think your kids will like this car? Because I, like, I don't know. And, and, and so it says this guy owes the king so much money that there's no way he can pay it back. And I think this guy represents us. There's no way we can, we can pay God back for our debt. There's no way we can undo our sin. There's nothing that we can do to, to cancel our rebellion against him. And so what happens, he says that this guy comes before the king, and he says, he begs the king, would you forgive me? Would you cancel the debt? Would you forgive me? Would you close the account? Would you take me from the red? And would you put me in the black? Could you put me at zero? so that I could be in good standing with you and not under judgment with you. And it says that the king forgives him. The king says, listen, I, I, I will pay the debt that you cannot pay. I will erase the debt. I will close the account. I will let it go. And I think in the, in the story that the king forgiving that man tells you and I that forgiveness is available to us. That every single one of us has a debt that we cannot repay, but God in his grace forgives us through Jesus' son. But he says the guy that was just forgiven is leaving the palace. And on the way home, he runs into a guy who owes him some money, and that guy owes him a hundred denarii. Now, just to give you a perspective, a hundred denarii is one day's wage, okay? So a good eight-hour workday is a hundred denarii. And what happens is, is it says the guy who was just forgiven is infuriated. And he goes, listen, I just stood before the king because I owed the king 150 years of labor. And you know what? If you would have given me what you owed me, if you would have given me the 100 denarii, maybe at least I could have given that to the king. At least maybe if you would have paid me. You know whose fault it is that I couldn't pay the king? It's your fault. So the guy goes, listen, I can't pay you the, the, 100, I can't pay you the 100 denarii. Like, I don't have a day's work of labor to give to you. Would you forgive me? Would you be willing to cancel the debt? Would you be willing to... Set it at zero. Could we close that account? Just call it good. It says the guy who was forgiven decides 
that he would not forgive the guy who owed him one day's work. And Jesus says this. He says that the king finds out about this whole thing. And in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 32, it says, Then his master summoned him, being the guy that was just forgiven. And he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, let's not, let's not breeze over that too fast. The king says, I'm going to send you to jail until you can pay all the debt. How many years of debt is it? Remember? 150. So what kind of sense, sentence is that? A life sentence. And the king says, listen, I forgave you. I said, I said the slate was clean. The debt was gone. But because of your unwillingness, you now will go to prison. And you now owe me 150 years of labor. Now listen to Jesus' words. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And listen, like I didn't write it. Like After second service today, there was somebody incredibly mad that I preached this message. And I said, here's what you have to understand. I'm not the author and the perfecter of the faith. Like, you don't turn to the back of the Bible and see written by Adam. What you get to is it says, written by the Lord. And I don't fully get it, and I'm still trying to process through it, but when Jesus says that there's a relationship between the forgiveness I receive from God and the forgiveness I offer to other people, it at least motivates me to be more forgiving. And it at least gives me a gut check to think, if I'm not forgiving people that hurt me at some point, I'll give a, an account to that, to the God that I'm saying, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. And listen, this is what I know. I'm a person who needs a lot of forgiveness. I'm a person who needs a lot of grace. Most of my prayers start out this way. Heavenly Father, I came to come to you in the name of Jesus, and I'm just sorry. Like, listen, I know that I blow it time and time again. And because I need frequent, consistent, constant forgiveness... I'm motivated by Jesus' words just to try to be the best that I can be at giving frequent, constant forgiveness to other people. In fact, I think what Jesus says is that as a Christ follower, one of the most significant indicators in our lives that we've been forgiven by Jesus is our ability and our willingness to forgive others just as we've been forgiven. That one of the greatest indicators, one of the biggest things that tells people, yes, I've been forgiven by Jesus, one of the things that shows God that we understand what it means to be forgiven is by our ability and our willingness to close the accounts and to let it go and to forgive people just as we've been forgiven. So the question then is this, how do we forgive people? Like, how do we forgive people that have hurt us and hurt us greatly? And when I believe that the Bible says forgiveness is a priority, here's what I know. It never says that it's intuitive. It never says that it makes a lot of sense. And it never says that it'd be easy. But it does say that it would be a priority for our lives. And I think one of the things we should do then is if we truly want to forgive somebody that's hurt us greatly is, number one, we should begin to pray for them. That we'd begin to pray for people who've hurt us. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray those who persecute you. Like one of the things we can begin doing today is just praying about our hurt and praying about our grievances and praying about those who have offended us. And maybe our prayer goes something like this, God, I want to forgive, but I'm just struggling. God, give me the strength. Give me the willingness. God, I just, I want to accept your truth. I want to accept that I'm supposed to forgive. I just need your strength. I just need your help. And God, I'm just going to start praying good things for that person because here's what I want you to know. Even though you might not feel like forgiving that person, usually right feelings follow right actions. And what had happened is, is if you begin to pray for that person, what God might actually do is change your heart and begin to do some work inside of you that would allow you to bring about forgiveness. Number two, begin to forgive as you've been forgiven. Begin to forgive as you've been forgiven. Like the forgiveness that we've been offered by Jesus, the forgiveness that hopefully you experience daily from Jesus should motivate you to forgive other people. I think every time you before, go before God and say, God, I need you to forgive me, it should also be a gut check just to say, and who do I need to forgive? And God, like, when I ask you to forgive me, I want you to wipe the slate clean. So when I forgive other people, I just wipe the slate clean. And God, when I come to you with your sin, you say you cast it as far as the east is from the west, which means you're not going to bring it up and talk about it anymore. And so when I forgive other people, I'm just going to let it go and I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to replay the highlight reels in my head over and over and again. I'm not going to continue to fight the battles. I I just want to forgive other people the way that Jesus forgives me. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says it this way. It says, bearing with one another. I love this because I think Paul's being really intentional. He says, bearing with one another, which means putting up with one another, dealing with one another, Not always enjoying, not always liking, not always having a smile on your face, but bear with one another. Kind of get the image of two big grizzly bears just hashing it out. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. One of the ways we begin to forgive is just to, to really take time to reflect on the way Jesus has reflected us and then begin to pray, God, I want to forgive them just as you've forgiven me. And God, I want to do such a good job that I would actually be okay with you forgiving me the way that I forgave them. And here's, here's the thing I do want to say real, real quick as we talk about forgiveness is I've never, I've never found any verse in Scripture that says if you're in an unhealthy relationship, if you're in an abusive relationship, if there's physical harm or any type of harm that could come upon you or, or children in that situation, it never says forgiveness means staying in that situation. Like sometimes you have to get out of that situation and forgive from afar as you try to heal and bring that relationship to a place of safety. And if you're here this evening, you're in a relationship where you go, hey, I need to forgive, but I think I need to forgive from afar, like we would love to help as much as we can. And we'd like to create a safe place and a safe environment for you because forgiveness doesn't always mean that you got to stay in a bad place. It usually means you can get to a place of safety and forgive from that place. Here's, here's where we land. As we, as we enter 2013 and we talk about having the greatest year of our life and getting past our past, the reality is, is every single one of us came in this place with baggage tonight. And I love that about this church. But this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. 
But one of the things for our own lives is that if we want to live life to the full and if we want to experience the joy and the vibrance and the fullness of life, then one of the things that has to happen in your life and my life is we've got to let go of some of that baggage. We've got to get rid of some of those hurts. Frankly, we have to let the past sins and the past hurts die. Because if we don't let them die, they won't let us live. And one of the things that I've been hoping and praying is that we could begin to forgive people just as Christ has forgiven us. And so just kind of two closing thoughts. The first would be this. If, if you're here this evening and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, my hope would be is that maybe tonight the Holy Spirit would be working inside of you and just kind of awaken you to that need of that God wants to forgive you and that you need to be forgiven. And that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that it's through his life and through his death and through his resurrection that we have the ability to be forgiven and to be redeemed and to be made new. And accepting him is as simple as putting your trust in him, putting your faith in him. Scripture says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he is the Lord, then he will save. And I believe that. For the rest of us, maybe if you already have a relationship with Jesus, here's my hope for you, that you would begin to forgive just as Christ forgave you. That maybe 2013 could be the the year that you begin to let go of some of those hurts and lay down some of that baggage and close out those accounts. Because not only would it be an act of obedience towards God, but it would be the best possible thing for you and the best possible way for you to live. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this evening, and God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us. God, I thank you for your word. And when we open up scripture, God, we see you and we hear you. We can know your thoughts and your truth and your perspective. And God, I pray that in the next few moments as we just continue with our service, God, as we worship you for, for who you are and we sing songs of praise to you, God, I pray that you would show up in our hearts and our lives in very real ways. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to forgive people just as you've forgiven us. And God, that we as your people wouldn't be unforgiving people, but we would forgive being motivated by the forgiveness that you've offered us. God, I also pray if there's any of us here tonight that just need to come to you and seek you and beg you for forgiveness and invite you to be the Lord and to be the Savior of our lives. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that that would take place, that you would continually call us to you, and that our lives would be changed by you. Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness you've given us. Thank you that you washed away our sins, you took away the crimson stain, you canceled the debt, and you call us your sons and your daughters. Help us to fully live and treasure that forgiveness. And God, help us to be people because we've been forgiven by you. Jesus, help us forgive those who hurt us who have debts with us, those who trespass against us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.